Welcome to the Tag You're It Podcast. I am Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And we are back in the studio. I know that we uh, do many different things now. Um, I never know what we're going to do, if we're going to be here, if we're going to be on Zoom, if we're going to be in Branson. I know. Live um, recording wherever. <laughs> yeah. And my voice is uh, definitely feeling it. Uh, so for all those of you, um, I don't think it's been uploaded by the time we upload this. No, but I we'll got beat the em. privilege to be on uh, Free the State, so I got to hang out again um, with our brothers that uh, stood with us Came in Abolition. all the way from Oklahoma yes. on their own dime to come and to pass out material and make Missouri Baptist aware of the abolitionist movement that, by the way, was taking place at two other state conventions almost during the exact same time. So while Missouri Baptists were not voting in the resolution to abolish abortion, Arkansas and Idaho and Utah both passed that resolution with a few pieces of language that actually made it more specific. Mm -hmm. While we were trying to be exceptionally vague and not specific, these other places made it exceptionally clear. Mm-hmm. And that was not only to be commended, I know that you guys are going to talk about that. I got to hear some of it, so I know you touched on some of that. But while we were doing that last week, those guys chose to come to Missouri rather than go to Arkansas or to Utah, Idaho. They came to Missouri, and we were the ones who didn't yeah. get it done. Yeah. So, so just a little bit of irony yeah. there. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that um, in my op- or in my statement anyway that I got to speak to the motion anyway was that we're out of step as as Missouri Baptist with the SBC. Um, and that was the original intent anyway was they rejected um, in 2020 the resolution because they wanted to wait and see. Well, we got to wait and see. Well, let's get in line, right? So we had the chance to lead the way. And played, you know, let's let's play to our little pride at least for good, especially yeah. if they're incrementalists. Like, why not? I don't like playing to pride, but we could have led the way and helped, and that's where it is. Like, we could have helped, set the <laughs> you know? tone, yeah. Um, but we didn't. Now we are. Then we're out of step, and then now we're not only out of step with that, but we can't even lock arms with fellow Baptists in other states. You know, and so that is the fuel to the fire. Um, you know, I've sort of uh, got this uh, self-named uh, thing now. This uh, yellow strip made That's right. kind of an impression. It's yeah. funny. Um, but anyway, it's I'm calling myself the yellow streak of abolition in Missouri. You there know? you so go. So I need to get a little logo nice. of the yellow streak. That, and, that's uh, good, Adam. Know, That's great. Why not? You know, I I don't want it to be the streak of dread, but I hope it's like this kid... Uh, must be a little brother pushing buttons all the time because he's always coming here with the same thing. And, you know, I hope maybe we can stop murdering babies by some little brother kid coming in and poking that button. And I don't know uh, what that noise is, but there's a noise. in this. Anyway, Iris, it's dinner time. Iris gets yeah. a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, I hope, I hope uh, next year we add this fuel to the fire. Like I said, 
Um, the other states are are saying so. Um, the Southern Baptists have said so. So come on, Missouri Baptists, let's well, let's do this thing and let's spend this year actually critically thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that there will be opportunities to respond to that actual resolution that was passed. And yeah. um, man, I would love to write a piece for the pathway on yeah. that because that would be good because remember last year they did take dr allen's response excuse me dr allen branch's response to the resolution on fetal cells yeah and where was he in the meeting too <laughs> yeah he wasn't where was there he at the uh, nbc and he wasn't there this year yeah, yeah he wasn't there this year last year and i'm again i imagine he has a lot going on he probably does have classes that he's teaching so i I, there is a component of that that I would definitely understand, but would have liked, because he knew that there was going to be a resolution to abolish abortion, would have loved to have had the discussion. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things, you know, uh, those conversations are important even when you have to directly confront that person on their inconsistencies Yeah, and, and do so lovingly, which mm-hmm. is what we're going to deal with now, which is our debate. We had Good a great segue. debate. Hopefully you got to watch it and to see that was the first time we debated together in a long time since we dealt with Dr. Howe on the same issue. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we got together. Um, and so if you followed us on Facebook, if you're a Missouri Baptist, um, all that stuff. If you saw the ad, we had a debate on what is the best way to defend the faith. Um, we had that with our brothers in the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network because it was a Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network um, sort of thing to showcase um, debate. And so it was our first debate as MBAN That's right. apologists as well, um, between MBAN apologists to, again, showcase debate, showcase disagreement, showcase the civil nature of things we gave like i think uh yeah before the question and answer time you know i got up and like group hug we're gonna yeah, do this in front of everybody really good. okay and so, so that we are brothers we disagree on these points you can definitely tell the frustration on the <laughs> other side <laughs> from oh, the yeah. table um with us anyway but so yeah you can have all those emotions and still um you know we understand and i'd say it's because of the presuppositional side you can actually remain brothers because you have the same starting point and you agree and we can yeah. go from there. Well, and so just as a broad overview of the debate, it was very concise. That was very quick. Yeah. We really only got two times to speak and they were like five minutes a piece, basically. Plus the, uh, the time of cross-examination was a little bit rough. That would probably be one of the things that I thought, wish that we would have had a little bit more cross-examination yeah, I mean, time. I really had hard. fun. That was the best part of it, I think. I think most of most of the debate was there. So, like, the opening statements were great, um, but that's where most of the information was for people to digest is cross-examination. Mm-hmm. And so if we had more cross-examination time because i know um you know it's one of those things like we gotta you gotta understand like dennis jackson that was the first time he ever did that yeah, exactly and he had the i guess you could say he took the intestinal fortitude and said i'm going to do this and so that was awesome he put himself out there in front of people for the first time job. and yeah. so i was very proud of him and you know he was very discouraged feeling at the end of the debate and i was just like dude yeah. you did it who else who else who else actually whenever we said made the call to debate who else took the opportunity what i would so, say you, and then here's what Dennis i would say i want to be very um so i'll put on my 
debate coach and public speaking professor had here, um, number one, Dennis was well-prepared and well-researched. That is a key piece. One of the things that I think is overwhelming often in a, in a debate is you hear all of the points of the other side. And mm -hmm. then you think, I've got to respond to every single one of these ever little, little points. And so when you got up and spoke, and he is going to then give the rebuttal to that, there's an element of, oh man, I've got a million different things, and how is the statement that I've written here as a rebuttal going to actually rebut that statement that Adam has brought up? And this is one of the key things, and you'll see it in the debate that I think you and I, because we've debated before, understand. We're summarizing what are the main features of that argument. We yeah. are crystallizing here is the deciding point, which from the presuppositional position, you always have the edge because you're going to the consistency of Scripture. Yeah. I know that God speaks consistently, and so my standard is always going to be how can I remain scripturally true? Mm -hmm. How can what I am saying be based and rooted in Scripture as the sole and infallible rule, mm -hmm. right? And so, despite the fact that he had a lot of things to respond to, he was still organized, but I think that's one of the places where a person can get really put off, and I think that he kept his composure really well. And the other thing is, I think that one of the best moments— I'll even make myself look a little bad here, was when Dennis asked a really good question about can someone be drawn to, or can someone come to salvation through the use of the classical method, right? Mm -hmm. To which I said, well, certainly. And then he kind of pushed me a little bit more and he goes, well, it sure sounds like... <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. will work. And it was a very good moment in the debate. And I think he kind of sold himself short a little bit. And so, Dennis, I hope you listen to this because I want to give you props on that. That was a bury my head in the sand moment. And you did a great job with that. What you should have done then was you should have continued to push that a little bit more. We might have ran out of time at yeah, that particular yeah. point, Again, but that's yeah. you. You want to you want to run those debate pieces yeah. into the ground. Like, and it was just a very short scale debate. Again, that was yeah. sort of a display as well for this is what it looks like to yes. debate. So it wasn't you know it's not like stuff that we you know whenever we watch James White or Greg Bonson, they have a lot of time. They've got like yeah, ten minutes, fifteen course. minute, twenty minute opening statements. Oh, yeah, I mean sure. it's a big twenty five minute is not so a, a lot. A, there's a lot more place. that. It takes place in that. So, you know, there, there was that difference, but I think it was great for the people in the room. Um, it did spark a lot of good conversation, uh, a lot of brotherhood in that room um, that we had. And I hope that everybody that's downloaded it um, has been edified by it. Um, there's hopefully some clarifications of the position. Um, and then again, go back in the backlog and listen to whenever we talk to Richard Howe, which is a professor emeritus of philosophy at Southeastern, you know, like that's, that's a, big name, a guy that's been around a while and he's definitely a guy that's got the books mm -hmm. and yeah, he uses them, you know? And so that, that, so maybe if you didn't understand that, listen to this debate and then go back and go, Oh, okay. You know, so that's kind of how you can utilize these kind of tools that we present anyway, that we have to get things that we produce. Cause we know that we talk a lot. Um, I do use a lot of adjectives. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was great and we'll get piece. there anyway. That was yeah. great there's, piece. there's some fun little jabs. Um, but anyway, you know, not to just 
keep on taking more time to talk about mm. let's uh dig into the debate so we'll jump through the opening statement a little bit deal with some of dennis's statement and then there is at least one q a and question that i think we want to deal with and then of course hang on to the end because we do have yes, some big information, some information that you need to hear mm-hmm. regarding the future direction of Tagurit. yeah there's some stuff all but, good though all good don't be worried yeah, don't be scared yes it's all good <laughs> but before we get to that <laughs> let's get into the debate and so we got the opening statement where gabriel um is the man with the plan and you're playing it at uh one and a half one and a half wow all right informal podcast away uh, I'm Gabriel Zalea, and I will be, uh, alongside my partner Dennis here, representing the uh, classical position. Uh, from me, you will hear more so of the classical arguments that, uh, that are typical to defend the faith. Um, I'd like to offer you a thesis statement before getting into some uh, definitions, necessary definitions for the evening to start the debate. I believe, we believe, the most consistent way to defend the faith is using biblically faithful proofs and evidences. To move forward with some definitions, apologetics as defined by Dr. K. Scott Oliphant, who is a covenantal apologist, mind you. Christian apologetics is the application of biblical truth to unbelief. This also comes in a defensive form, which is the form that, again, I will be more properly representing tonight, which is answering objections to unbelief. That comes courtesy of uh, Dr. John Frame. He would also define an offensive form, which is the covenantal form, as attacking unbelieving thought. And it is these two, uh, again, tonight that we will be in discussion of. To define proofs for you, I would say that there are evidences or arguments to establish or to help establish a fact or the truth of a statement for evidence, the available body of facts or information, indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or that. Stop it right yeah. there. Yeah. Sorry, I just thought that was yeah. a good little, good little movement to get mm-hmm. through. So, yeah. Yeah. do you want so, to start or would yeah, you like so, I mean, to like, go So, he's saying that you can use, say, the Christian theistic proofs. So, we're talking about the five ways, the Thomist issue. And, um, again, this is where I ended up hitting him. Um, was that well he says you can utilize these things with a biblical framework which i went ahead and said well yeah from a christian worldview you can use these things we agree we agree on i i've got covenantal apologetics sitting on my table right there i wanted to write a little article about covenantal apologetics because of this Uh, but we agree it's applying biblical truth to unbelief the problem is you talk about the irreducible complexity of the eye Okay, are we, are, how are you applying biblical truth to unbelief whenever you're just talking about the irreducible complexity of the eye? That is what is at the heart of the debate. Well, and but, there's a few things that I think debate-wise that I keyed in on and I think are even important for us to do now. So again, Gabe has written a really good introduction statement, right? He has delivered it effectively, and it builds on itself in a very good way. Like, I can see the logic of it, and I think if someone's listening and they don't really know much about apologetics, he gives them a good understanding of, I believe, a framework for the classical position. But here's the problems right out of the gate, and it always goes to definitions, right? So he offers his thesis statement, which was good, grateful for that, but Again, most consistent way. So there is a standard for what is consistent. Well, where do you go for that? That becomes the problem. Then again, he says, most consistent way to defend the faith using biblically faithful proofs. Again, biblically faithful proofs. By what standard are you measuring whether these are biblically faithful proofs? And especially, and then the difference is, okay, well, okay, yeah, biblically faithful proofs. Well, what if you're talking about somebody where you have to prove the biblically-based issue? Yes. That's the problem. 
that's the difference. And so because, like I said in the conclusion, the debate was over at this point, um, because a classical position, a real classical position, actually was not put forward in this debate. So um, what, uh, what Gabriel is proposing, sort of a both and that's still inconsistent, um, they never really established what classical apologetics is. Yes, very Therefore, well said. when they make an assertion, well, this presuppositionalism works in a framework of classical, that's an assertion that was not established because we don't know what the definition of classical apologetics is. So that's where they missed it. Um, that's where I wish Dennis probably would have taken more of a classicalist position. And if he would have done an opening statement, that's what I'd like to hear where, how he would have put forward it. Cause I believe that he is Much more on the classical more, yeah. side than uh, Gabriel, which well, come on. We know we Gabe had... <laughs> is actually not yeah. classical. And so he had a yeah. big challenge before mm -hmm. him. And this is something that I think, you know, I also want to make sure I recognize in this Gabe has done just a fine job in this, demonstrating that he's familiar enough with that position, but he's not going to buy it wholesale, yeah. knowing that he cannot, and it demonstrates you cannot wholesale buy the classical position and be completely biblically consistent. And he demonstrates that, and he knows the position well enough yeah. to know that he can't do that. Yeah. So, you know, and it's not, not to demean or anything, you know, it was, that was a softball. To yeah. our side, to be like, yeah, you can't do that. So, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, but again, it was it was fun. I'm glad that Gabe did what he did, said what he said there, because it does demonstrate to the audience. Wait, okay, if he's not really being classical, then all we've heard was presuppositional apologetics tonight. Yes, it's just that who's then more consistent. And that's whenever you get into like Greg Bonson's, to, you know, the the book where he goes through all the presuppositionalists. Presuppositional apologetics stated, stated and defended. defended where yeah. he goes through biographical information about um, all these presup guys and says they're not really. Here's where they're inconsistent. Yeah. And then Bonson, you know, basically being the most consistent Vantillian and up to, you know, for that position. So the other little piece here, and I, I think Gabe did a great job on this too, is the victor of the debate will be determined by the method that is faithful to clear biblical consistency for how to defend the faith. At that particular point, what you're going to do then and what you have to do then is appeal to specific passages in Scripture that affirm your position. And he knows and he recognizes that you can't do that. And that was one of the key pieces in my rebuttal, actually, was, okay, show me where, show me where, show me where. And you can make a argument to say, see, there's a little bit of the cosmological here in, in Acts 17, right? Because that's basically yeah. what he had, what Tried. he had affirmed. Yeah. But I was like, nah, you know, just as well as I do that that's not specifically and directly that. And yeah. by the way, Paul was, br was brilliant enough to have known that Aristotle had already presented the cosmological argument. Yeah. It wasn't something that he needed to deal with. That's not a Jewish argument. That's not a Christian argument. If it was a Christian or Jewish argument that was going to be delivered specifically to unbelieving people, you would see it again and again in the book of Acts, and you never see it in the book of Acts. Yeah. And then this is where R.C. Sproul is inconsistent in his commentary on John, where he actually says that, that uh, Aristotle and Plato, remember, they were, before, they were born before Jesus Christ. They were around. But he says, he quotes Justin Martyr. Hmm, that's a 
piece of historical information. He quotes Justin Martyr saying that uh, those guys borrowed light from Jesus Christ. But how can they borrow light from Jesus Christ if they didn't even know who Jesus Christ was? The fulfillment of everything in Jesus Christ yet. So they weren't Christians. Aristotle, Plato, not Christians. Now we understand that everybody has a God that they serve. And they had their own need. Plato had to have a myth to be able to get the realm of forms into, you know, to come down, to mean something. And he admitted myth. And then, you know, you had Aristotle pointing at the ground. And that's, you know, definitely where idealism comes in. And that's what uh, Cornelius Van Til started out of the gate talking about and speaking against was idealism. But that's, that's the problem. Like, what, what God are we talking about? And as Christians, what are we going to be consistent with? Are we going to put God in the dock? Does Paul ever put God in the dock in Acts 17? Nope. He, like I said in the uh, Q and, or the cross exam was like, no, it was a recognition that these people were religious and he was proclaiming Jesus Christ. He never actually said there is this Jesus Christ. And so here's how I prove it. No, he asserted Jesus Christ yes. was going to be the judge of them. And so that's the presuppositional method. He asserted and, that Jesus yeah. Christ rose. He didn't mm-hmm. try to prove it. Yeah. It's like, so here's what you recognize. I'm going to get in your car and show you that I, you recognize this. Now I'm going to bring you into my car. And so you're, you, you make the person argue against themselves. You, show, you, you try to get them in a position where they see, by the Holy Spirit only, their, their philosophical schizophrenia. Now, I'm not doing that to put God in the dock. I'm just saying you already know this stuff. So it's a different methodology. It's recognizing they already know God exists and the God exists. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to give them the cosmological argument. Now I can say like, you recognize you need to start. You recognize you need a designer. I get that. You recognize that. And if they, if they talk like that, I'm like, you recognize it. I'm not going to say therefore God, I'm going to say, and you know, and you need the gospel because it's not an information problem. According to scripture. That's right. It's a ethical problem. And so the only thing that they need to know is that, well, Jesus did come to save sinners. That's the gospel. So that's the preaching. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's a, it's a methodology issue that we're talking about here. We're actually debating a methodology, and I think uh, we'll see that there's some sort of other conflation there. Valid, and we can discuss that definition later on, I'm sure. The criteria for winning the debate tonight, the victor of this debate will be determined by the method of apologetics that is most faithful to biblical consistency. I want to offer you three major arguments for using the traditional arguments in Christian apologetics, which are the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the teleological argument, the moral and first cause arguments. Number- so yes, those are Thomas Aquinas arguments. That's classical argumentation. But remember, he's already not given you the framework of an actual classical position. So yes. he's given you the arguments, but He's arguing from presupposition now, not classical. One, they are biblical. And I say this coming from somebody who is aligned in the more reformed tradition of biblical theology. I want to make that clear that my starting point really and truly is no different than those who are on the opposite side of the spectrum for me. I look at passages like Romans 1.20, carrying the truth of general revelation as opposed to natural theology, which comes courtesy of Thomas Aquinas in antiquity. I would also look to uh, the use of the traditional arguments as being biblical by looking at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, where Paul speaks of becoming all things to all men so that the gospel might go forward, or perhaps in Acts 17, 28, where Paul uses even the poets of the Stoics and the Epicurean philosophers against them to not only prove the existence of God, but to demolish their arguments. So now he's got to prove 
that that's the classical position. Yes. But he already agreed with us. We have the same starting point. We argue by presupposition. So he's already arguing like a presuppositionalist, which is just fine, which is what he which is. He did a good job. Yeah. I'm just going to say, yeah. he did an excellent job writing this and keeping himself actually true to his convictions and yeah. not playing it must, it'd be, a part. It'd, it yeah. would be really hard. It'd be yeah. really hard. Because right, if I did it, I'd play a very sarcastic, see-through position. To, no, he's to be able written to do a it. good yeah. piece here. And, yeah. and so one of the things that I would say, uh, because we're going to assert that all three of those passages are all uh, presuppositional covenantal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely going to say that Romans, and I did say Romans one twenty demonstrates that men are suppressing the truth that they know, the God that they know. Then you go to all things to all men. What is Paul really saying there? He's stepping into their worldview because yeah. we got to understand demonstrate it to demonstrate to, the absurdity yeah, of it. If you listen to how he's going to explicitly say. You can come up with the God of the Bible without the Bible. Yes. Right. You'll be able to use natural theology Mm -hmm. as he's, he's already argued against that it's natural revelation, not natural theology that we're doing a la Thomas Aquinas, a la now Richard Howe. Yeah. And so Howe would say, no, 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 no. I can prove God exists without special revelation. That's the classical position. Yes. So again, I just wanted to reiterate, we don't have an actual classical position and so whenever they make their claim because you're going to hear it that presuppositionalism is classicalism just like Richard yes, Howe will do mm-hmm. uh, you know that's like the frustration um, that we do have but you, they, they, they don't establish it so in this debate if we're just considering this debate again it was over from this statement with that, I would like to also offer to you that the Christian worldview then allows for the traditional apologetic arguments, those five main arguments, as being valid arguments. The Christian worldview makes them valid. That is why I mentioned my starting point. Well, they're valid arguments, but again, so here's the conflation. They're valid arguments, but is that the methodology? We're debating methodology, not arguments. And so we're conflating argument and methodology. The methodology. So like, you know, again, the universe didn't need a beginning. It had a beginning. You already know that you're yes. suppressing the truth about it. That's the presuppositional position. And you put them in a, in that, like you've had to suppress the truth, how, and you can't justify any of that, how you've suppressed the truth because you are, you know it. And this is, it makes you absurd. Sin is absurd. It's inconsistent. Lying is inconsistencies. So, you know, that's the way the presuppositionalist works. And so again, he's not working against that. He's already set up the, our position. He's lost, but, and it's not the classical position. Two things on that real quick. Yeah. I highlighted this as we went through it. You know, um, the argument is the Christian worldview allows for the traditional apologetic arguments to be valid arguments. That's not the question. You can have a valid argument, but is it consistent with the way Scripture demonstrates how to go about presenting the gospel. And this is my major issue. And this is what I get concerned about. And people can go a lot deeper than I can on this. I think White on his argu- on his arguments about natural theology, he's going he's gonna to deal with some things in a, in a different way than I am, but, but we're going to the, in the same stream here. And, and by that, I mean this. My problem with the Thomist position is that it is making 
the human mind and valid arguments subservient to Scripture. Therefore, you get to a different God, and you can get to a different God. A Mormon can use your arguments to come to their Mormon God. Yeah. Same thing with the Hindu. Well, then, same thing with, and that's the problem. Yeah, when you what does it put? What does it put at the back of everything? Then it puts chaos. Yes, random. It puts this impersonal chance as hanging over God to prove which one exists, which one's the true one, and that's the problem. You're, you're yes. You, you, so you're proving chance. But does chance exist in God's universe that he has spoken into existence? And again, as White made it so clear, Thomas was not one who submitted to the full authority of Scripture. He did mm -hmm. not hold every He's thought captive Catholic. to obedience to Christ. That's the difference. Yes, valid arguments, true. But, they're good but, arguments, but they're not the arguments for the exclusive triune God of Scripture. Is it a sound position? There you go. There's a difference between valid oh, yes. and sound. So, again, yes. this is what causes R.C. Sproul to preach certainty on Sunday and then preach probability on the street on Monday. Which one is well it? Said. Which one is it? The atheist goes, well, you, you say this from your pulpit, but now you're backpedaling. Well, this is possibly, we can only have possible knowledge. Or does the Bible say that we all have, like, real knowledge? That's the difference. In this, I've got another little piece, so... ...is being no different. Really and truly, the traditional arguments can only work under a biblical frame. Lost Indeed, the, lost it is the Lord Jesus that is the essence of all truth. You find this in John 1, 14, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. And if God, through Jesus... But on classicalism, you'd have to prove the Bible first. Yes. Yes, is truth. That means logical truths. Inductive truth, uh, deductive truth uh, is found in the person of Christ, and that is my starting point. But then you have to use logic to prove logic with no justification from another point, another worldview that we're opposed to, that we're actually preaching the gospel into. So justify logic and naturalism. With chance at the back of everything, why is there order? I'll just say what game is yeah. doing is yeah. really good in <laughs> demonstrating that you cannot be consistently classical. Yeah. And I know he knows that he was yeah. doing that. We just say get rid of half of the work. <laughs> Tell them what they already know. And they're suppressing and make it not an information issue, but a willing issue and tell them to repent and come to Christ. Mm. And here's the gospel. Yeah. Get rid of half the work. If, if the sun sets you free, you are free from it. Right. <laughs> and be free indeed and rejoice. That is why I say these uh, arguments are valid because they are staying faithful when put in the right frame to even... When put in the right frame, where the Bible is the presupposition of all predication. Yes. Our position, not a classicalist position. ...of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus it is incumbent on us to declare the truths of God. And these traditional arguments declare the truth of God, be it they by the ontological argument being by the being of God, or perhaps design, or perhaps the concept of where the world began. This is what I call an inclusive approach. And my third point that I want to argue for is that the use of the traditional arguments alongside perhaps so other uses... So, real quick, essentially what's being said there is these arguments, when they are fashioned within a biblical worldview work, there's the problem. Within a biblical worldview already, within a worldview yeah. that is governed by scripture therefore you can't get out of it and so here's the thing the 
classical arguments are great for Christians. We love proof for the existence of God, but that's because we've already been changed from death to life. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. yeah. And Christian apologetics allows for full and holistic Christian worship in our apologetics. If we take John 4, 24 seriously, where, John, uh, where Jesus, speaking to the woman at the well, says, we will worship in spirit and in truth. And if indeed it is true, and I believe so, that the use of the traditional arguments based upon a biblical worldview are indeed true, then we ought to use them for the sake of being consistent worshipers of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the beliefs that we hold. In essence, there is no glory robbed of God in the use of the traditional arguments, as some might argue otherwise. Except for you're not arguing the classical position and presenting a classical position. So that's the problem. Again, I addressed it. That's in the conclusion. The debate was over. You and me can talk. Me and Gabe can talk. Me and Dennis can talk all day and just go like, yes, the universe but is designed. What he was this, challenging but, us yeah. to do, and it was a very good tactic, yeah. by the way. Gabe knew where we were coming from and knew our yeah. position. Oh, yeah. His there challenge was prove that I can't use these traditional proofs within a Christian worldview. That's yeah. really what then he's it, asking yeah, then, here. Then came down and to, to... Which, to which we all we have to say, and that, again, here's what I'm thinking. If I'm having to argue his position, and I would have loved to actually, and it would be great to visit with him, the debate is his if he makes the point you can't use these arguments within a Christian worldview. Does that make sense? Making us have to argue that you cannot use the classical arguments within the Christian worldview. Yeah. If that's what he would have keyed in on, which would have been a good turn in the debate, there's where we have some real issues. Yeah. And so the major thing, you know, in my opening statement that, again, I think what I told people to look for was true. And the questions to ask, and, you know, Dave, you did a wonderful job putting that anthropology on there. Thank but, you. But, you know, the, the deal is, is uh, that... Stole you know, it from you, so... The thing, uh, so that being said, I must offer you, the audience, then the opponent's two challenges to be aware of. Can our opponents defend the faith from Scripture alone, or do they have to jump the Christ-anchored ship and appeal to another standard to explain their position? Well, again, if they actually produced an actual classical position, you would have saw their jump. Yes. Um, I'd like to call us to pay attention to when human reasoning alone and pragmatism, which they didn't really utilize a whole lot, mm. um, which are external to the scriptures and therefore subjective, not objective standards when they're employed, you know, they salvage a man-centered tradition. Again, they didn't touch that one because they didn't really put forward a classical case. But also, do they deny the biblically revealed state of humanity? That is actually a kicker here. That was very big in the debate because his arguments while they were well set do not do not work when you leave the biblical anthropology and so whenever you get into the wc or the westminster confession london baptist confession 6.2 that's what i quoted there is that all mankind in adam are dead in sin wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of the body and then which is implied, and then I had to bring in that good old Baptist faith and message for it. But it, good what, work. It, what is implied in section six of the Baptist faith and message 2000 is the whole man needs redemption in Christ. Yes. So that includes reasoning. Again, this is not an information issue. This is an ethical issue. Spiritual reasoning. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the big deal. So again, if you deny that doctrine from scripture, then... 
If you do it explicitly, explicitly or implicitly, this would then lead to a position that additional information and man's assent to it is the only difference between those who are in Adam and those who are in, in Christ, which is contrary to Scripture and a different gospel. So, total depravity is always going to be a sticking point, especially when we're talking, trying to discuss uh, where you try to take Aristotle and his starting point that man's good, and it's just, you know, we're, we're evolutionarily kind of gaining information and all that kind of stuff. We can trust our reasoning that's presupposed. Um, you know, again, we reason to use our reasoning that our reasoning is valid, right? You know, just that sort of Seitenbrückenkate thing. Um, but the Bible says we can't do that. And so, again, which one is biblically faithful? The one that deals with total depravity, which the yes. other side never did. And yes, then you agreed. Did a good job pointing that out. Well, now we will go to Dennis's statement. We'll work through it a little bit quicker, but he didn't use all this time either, so I, it'll be a little bit shorter, I believe. Trying God and him. Oh, there's me again. Will result in the same. That's a good sound. Uh, I will say that uh, my brother has a way with adjectives. Uh, <laughs> yep, use quite a bit. Uh, also, let me say that uh, as my opponent has stated, if, if God is the standard by which we will be determining the best method tonight, then. Uh, when he announces the winner, you all might uh, be in a much more uh, interesting evening than we uh, thought when you signed up for it. So, uh, but my opponent proposed two challenges. Let's look at those. The first challenge had to do with using anything other than Scripture to defend the faith. The claim is made that anything other than Scripture is subjective, that only Scripture represents objective truth. This claim would deny that God created an ordered universe. We see objective truth in mathematics, in science, and even in philosophy. In fact, it is with the simple mathematical truth of 2 plus 2 is 4 that we often describe what objective truth is. This claim would further deny that the ordered universe points to the God of the Bible. That is exactly Paul's point in the first chapter of Romans. We can look around us at creation, and it obviously points to the Creator. Yeah, but what's the difference on that last point was that, uh, yeah, everything points to, be, to, to God is what Paul says there. Everything has been received already from creation, and that all men are without excuse because they know. There's also a little bit of a conflation here, mm -hmm. which we didn't. I didn't point out as well as I should have, and Dennis should have ran with it. Not This is not me being angry at Dennis or like, just as a debater, there's something that I missed in my rebuttal that in debate, you want to make sure that when they miss an argument and you know, even if it's not your best argument, you want to drive home, it was untouched, right? Mm -hmm. And so here was a place where I failed at, in my rebuttal because i got to rebut both gabe and him right yeah and so one of the places that i really failed was when he made the argument the first challenge has to do with using anything other than scripture to defend the faith i really didn't hammer that piece what i should have said was that's not our position you've misrepresented it we're not saying that you can't use anything other than oh, scripture yeah. we're saying yeah. that scripture is the method by which you analyze every standard and every argument how do you argue not can you use something that is not in scripture right uh, a covenantalist will appeal to the laws of logic right but they're doing so demonstrating that it accords with the reality that scripture represents yeah, and that I god can, presented in scripture why there's logic so we can I, justify why there's a uniformity of nature to be able to so it's not the fact because the unbeliever is using a lot they're they're using the scientific mm -hmm. method yes why because god has created this way but how do you know well i can't transcend myself but god can come down 
Yes. He can speak. He can let us know. He can promise things. He can make covenants. And then he can be good on those covenants. And so then I have a justification, again, with the, with the uniformity of nature from the flood. God promised it. So therefore, I can go, I know that the nature is going to be uniform today and tomorrow and the next day. As the earth endures, these things are going to happen and they're going to come uniform-like. And I can trust that to then be able to do science. Instead of just assuming so, and it happening to be so for a while, but then again, I can't make a future claim, say 5,000 years from now. I can't make that claim now without begging the question or going billions of years in the past and begging the same question. So what was done here actually was a good debate move. Dennis, I really do hope that you get to listen to this. This is a really good piece. You put forward an argument that was a summary of our argument. What we failed to do, what I failed to do, was to demonstrate that, no, that's not what we're saying, right? So you put out a good argument here. I don't think that it's accurate, but because I didn't address it like it's an argument that sticks. But in reality, it doesn't stick because our argument isn't you can't use anything but Scripture. It is you have to test your methodology. Is it consistent with Scripture? And again, you write, the claim is made that anything other than Scripture is subjective that only Scripture represents objective truth. Mm -hmm. The argument is that anything that does not align with the scriptural method that God presented in Scripture is not subjective, it's false, in Mm -hmm. that it doesn't point to the true God of Scripture. That's, That's the key. Yeah. One final point before moving on to the second challenge. If Scripture is to be the only tool in defending the faith... This would lead in the questioner's mind, the person who's, who's uh, uh, unsaved and, and is, is uh, uh, being, uh, being talked to, this would lead in the questioner's mind to an issue of circular reasoning. Because what, part of what you're trying to prove in defending the Christian faith is, faith is the veracity of the Bible. But you're using only the Bible to do that. So now, he is against, <laughs> now he's against Gabe. So now you've got a split table on the other side of Dave and I. Because yeah. Gabe is presupposing the Bible and admitting so. Mm-hmm. He's not. And so now you've got a split at that table. So they're not, they're not, they're not debating us in one accord here. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is what we need. And so I guess here's where, this you'd, is have to where be a, you'd have to know what Dennis is talking about. So here's where he's bringing in some classical ideas, mm-hmm. but begging the question. And I, I hit this in my conclusion really hard, begging the questions an informal fallacy. And if I'm going to prove how strong I am by lifting weights, that's circular. I say I'm strong and I lift weights. I'm an authority on my strength. And so if it's an authority, it's not viciously circular. It's virtu- what, what we call virtuously circular. God is the authority. And we don't let that be author- we don't let that authority be questioned. Again, that's, that's the difference. And so there's where the difference it is, but it's such a small little blip that didn't get really fully messed with because again, the classical position. So if Dennis, you would have opened with the classical position, it would have been a much stronger debate. But then again, that would have sort of put you and um, Gabe at odds in a way from the very beginning at that table. So my piece that I would want to deal with here is, and I think you hit it really well, circular reasoning 
is an informal fallacy. So scientific methods. Here is, well, yes, yeah. and that's the key. Logic. When you deal with informal fallacies, and this is just proven, right? When you deal with something like a slippery slope, yeah. there are times when there actually are arguments that work that way. Yeah. <laughs> right? When you deal with, for example, circular reasoning, there is going to be a point, as we have noted, that you will have to deal with the actual ultimate authority on it. And you have to go back to that ultimate authority. So there is an element by which a circular reasoning fallacy is not problematic because of the type of authority that we're dealing with. Just like a hasty generalization sometimes is actually right. A generalization is actually right. Guess what? 16-year-olds, 16-year-old males, 15 through 20-year-old males, I should say, drive more recklessly than other people. There's a generalization, but guess what? It's so true. Insurance companies charge them even more. Yeah. Because and that's it's on a standard of it works, so like pragmatism. Yeah. Um. So I'm just, just saying <laughs> yeah. uh, an informal fallacy is not the same as a formal fallacy either. Formal fallacy is, again, a fallacy of form. It's a form of argument. Informal fallacy is not an argument of form, right? It's just a, a piece there. It is an argument generally of some type of uh, cognitive biasy, even yeah. in a way. So how so, do you know? Yeah, so it comes down to how do, how do you know your reasoning is valid? And one little piece here. And I, I need to say if you this, use your I'm... reasoning to validate your reasoning. So that's, that's the cogito ergo sum. That is the Aristotelian classical bay classical position, the Aristotelian based through Thomas Aquinas classical position. It begs the question of the reasoner. Well, so who's the authority again? And that's the that's the issue of the debate. Mm -hmm. Who's the authority? Is God the authority, the one who's come down to speak, or are we the authority? Does so, God get to be God because we say He's God? One other little piece, and then I know we'll move on here. Yeah. But when he says, uh, "What you're trying to prove is defending the Christ is." defending the Christian faith is the veracity of the Bible. Actually, no, the presuppositionalist, the covenantalist, is not trying to prove that. We can deal with some external evidences, but we're never trying to prove that outright. Yeah. By itself, it's not convincing to the questioner, at least, to say Scripture is true because it says— yeah, Convincing to the questioner. Hmm. We're not yes. asking that questioner— Again, like you're playing defense, but never playing offense. You're being a reactionary, but never playing offense. Mm -hmm. You ask that unbeliever, how do you reason without begging the question? And then we're going to find out, wow, we are all circular, and that's the truth. <laughs> and it's okay. And I have admitted it so many times, and I don't get why I have a, an opponent all the time that just doesn't get the fact that I take pride and being circular, and I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I'll announce it to the world, and I do. But what he's on, what he's done is he's suppressed the, and he's suppressing the fact that he has to be circular too. Yeah. And it gets really noticed whenever Matt Slick, I think, debated uh, debated the atheist experience guy, where he's like, oh, "Well, yeah. that's just the best I have. At least he had an honest atheist there. I do. I I reason the reason my reasoning is valid using my reasoning because that's all I got." When we say, like the disciples to Jesus, you've got the words of eternal life, and that's all we got. 
<laughs> comes down to that. Again, who's the authority? And it does come to that who says, but we don't use that who says as a evidence. We go, you already know this. Yes. And you're suppressing the truth, and here's how you suppress it, and here's how it's totally irrational. But again, we don't do that to put God in the dock. We just let them argue themselves and show their philosophical schizophrenia. It's true, and we can believe what it says because it is true. The second challenge had to do with the topic of biblical... Uh, when it comes to the Bible thing, we see the God that revealed in it has to exist for anything to be true. Yes. And so it's not believing the Bible says it's true, therefore it's true. It's that the, the God that is revealed in there has to be the presupposition of all predication. So it is a testimony to the God because it's the God speaking. Therefore, again, it's Argument authoritative. Yeah. It's authoritative. Yeah. yeah. And so authorities are going to be circular. Apology. What is the nature of man according to Scripture? In discussing the state of humanity, my opponent has indicated that people are wholly defiled by their sinful nature and seems to imply by that dictum that the unsaved person is incapable of reason. If this were true, That's then both of our methods are working. They reason, but they reason ethically in rebellion. Yes. So they're always going to suppress the truth. Again, the argument, too, is in regard to spiritual truth, their reasoning is wholly defiled. That's a key piece. It's a moral issue. Bingo because they both employ human reason to come to a conclusion. While we would all affirm the scripture that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, my opponent is not suggesting that one simply quotes scripture at a person until they're saved. Rather, he is selecting scripture to build a case that would, by means of logical reasoning, refute the person's objections. So finally, in conclusion, my opponent... Yes, but if you still refute the objections, what are they going to do if they hate God? They, oh, you're true. You gave me the right information. Again, if you deny... The total depravity of man as it really is, they're ethically in rebellion against God and they're going to suppress the truth and suppress the truth and suppress the truth. And sometimes, you know, you're holding a beach ball and sometimes that beach ball pops up because they can't help it because they live in God's world and they get indignant about some sort of, they have some sort of moral outrage. Well, we go, well, how do you justify that? Again, we make them argue themselves. The argument is very simply you must present the truth in a method that comports with scripture because it is the god of scripture whose spirit works to draw men to salvation when you are arguing to a generic god you'll never get there without having to go to scripture eventually does that make sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but further your problem is this leading people along the way is not something we see in Scripture. You start with Scripture. So, yeah. yeah. One accuses the questioner who requires evidence from sources other than Scripture of putting himself above God as, as judge. But what is not made clear is how this questioner is in any way different from the one who is only given scriptural evidence. Both are trying to reach an understanding about God and Christianity. False. Neither one want to have a reason about the God that they know exists. Both are suppressing the truth. Vast difference. This is, again, an assumed neutrality that mm -hmm. is ever-present in the classical method. And he yeah. gave it to you right there. Again, is God the back of everything? Or is chance the back of everything? And how do you argue? Does Yahweh only have in, in our knowledge of him through Jesus Christ uh, just at a seat at the table? 
that we get to go, I want that one or that one or that one. That one convinces me. That one convinces me. And it's just utter relativism and a sea of multiplicity of gods. And then you are being arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I was, I would admit if you're, if you're arguing from neutrality, we are all arbitrary. Everybody. And so again, relativism eats itself and you can't argue like that. That's right. We argue from the authoritative truth of Jesus Christ condescending. We wouldn't have any fruition of God without him condescending and we wouldn't have salvation or anything without God's covenantal condescension through word, ultimately in Jesus Christ who made the father known. That's the only way we even know about the Trinity. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can't come up with that, you know, but we know it by scripture as the ultimate authority. In summary, none of the points raised by my opponent to, to promote his cause has the strength to do so. While scripture certainly, certainly is a suitable source of evidence to defend the faith, it is by no means clear that it is or should be the only source of evidence. That was that conflation again. Yes, very I will move on to first cross-examination. All right. So what I think is best for us to do now, while the cross-examinations were good, yeah, let's you can go back. We, to, it's on the podcast. They can listen to that. Let's jump to this audience Q&A time because there was a question that was asked. And when I dealt with it, and I really do, um, this gentleman's name was Matt, Matt Dilworth, I believe. Uh, and Matt asked a question and he did send it in again because it, while it was a good question, it was very, very odd and unexpected within that two minute time frame. Don't think that it's a bad question, and I do believe he is, he might be maybe more where Gabe, Gabe's case being presented is yeah. than he is in what I would say in a, a consistent covenantal position, right, where I would say that we are. Because what you basically got in this debate, and, and none of this is to... Uh, hopefully it doesn't sound demeaning because actually amazing amount of respect for both of these guys. They're, I'm going to give Dennis a bigger bat, bigger pat on the back in this. Uh, he's never been involved in any some anything quite like this. Now, I don't think Gabe had ever been involved in a debate either, by the way. But Gabe had the advantage that I was his public speaking professor, so... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, please know that that is completely <laughs> me. Both of these guys was their first no. debate, uh, yeah, no, and great. so it was really, really good. Dennis was the first one to respond to us. He is purely classical. He made that clear. Uh, he even said, "I, you know, he was reluctant because I assume that uh, number one, it's intimidating, no matter who you're dealing with." Uh, not only dealing with a guy who's coached college debate, and then, of course, Adam and I have been so fortunate to debate some really great and intelligent folks, and both of us had really great opportunities, I think. So we've done it quite a bit. We're dealing with and responding to arguments continually. And I have still not arrived at all. So oh, neither have I. Please don't think that I have. Uh, I've, I please don't think I think that I have either. But Matt asked this question during the audience Q&A. We only had two minutes to respond and then a minute for the uh, opposition team to basically rebut it. Here's the argument that Matt wrote to us. Jesus used agricultural shepherding and other contemporary cultural references and metaphors all the time to teach spiritual truths to the unbelieving. Yes, agreed. With that, I'm breaking it down because I think that's going to be the best way we'll get to the answer. 
Agreed. Jesus did use those things. Not just Jesus, though. Remember that the prophets also used essentially a typology of, mm -hmm. of parabolic language and metaphor that was not always uh, agricultural in nature, but they were using metaphor or figurative type language to present truth. So it's this is not exclusive just to Christ. And that's the first thing that I want to key in on is that this is not just exclusive to Christ. Then he says, now again, also notice that the statement is made to unbelieving Jews. Agree. Mm -hmm. That's a key piece because that's who Jesus was generally teaching to. But, by the way, remember the Syrophoenician woman where he says, even dogs get yeah. to eat the crumbs off of the master's table. Yeah. Not necessarily agricultural, yeah. but that was Sorry, very yeah. parabolic. Sorry, I just yeah. wanted to put that and, out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just as I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fleshing yeah. some of that out. Yeah. Then he moves on. These concepts weren't necessarily biblical in his day. That's anachronistic. In a way. There's a few things on that. Yeah, yeah go for it, Adam. Yeah. Sure. I mean, um, it's not biblical. What did, what did Jesus speak? He was speaking. I, and you yeah. already talked mm -hmm. about this, but yeah. And it's just one of those things like Jesus is a prophet. And what are those things? So he's making them biblical. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a distinction there. Jesus makes it clear that everything yeah. that he says, the father yeah. told him to say. Yeah. Right. So it's actually the Anustas. Yeah. So it is. It, but this is a different thing. Yeah. It's the Anustas as it is literally God breathed. And here's the thing the writings of the apostles, for example, the Pauline epistles, would have a similar um, standard of authority, the same standard of authority, by the way, as the words of Christ that were recorded in Scripture, right? just as the words of the prophets when spoken had that standard they were god breathed literally god breathed jesus was saying what god told him to say therefore to say that they were biblical as you said anachronistically yes but they were god's words that's the key so they were god's words when they came out of the mouth of christ when the apostles wrote or when peter gave the sermon on the day of pentecost it was god breathed it yeah. was what God intended from the beginning to be recorded in Scripture. So, sorry, I, Matt, this is one of the things that we get to do in breaking it down a little bit more specifically. Next. They are for us today, speaking of these words, they are for us today because of the canon. Not really. No. The canon exists because it's actually revealed in the teachings yeah. of Scripture itself. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a very classical understanding or a Catholic mm -hmm. understanding, which would be the classical understanding, and that's we're Protestant, and that's what Van Til was saying. If we want a completely Protestant apologetic, I mean, we can't be classical, and so that actually would be like, well, the canon exists because the church said so, and then okay, that'd be true on that position, <laughs> but I mean, it's totally anachronistic and historically and grammatically and manuscriptly wrong. <laughs> well, Kruger um, yeah. makes it so clear, yeah. and I need to go back through the first book that I gave you, <laughs> The Question <laughs> of Canon. I've read it once and a half, probably, yeah. but look forward to reading it again. Then he says, "We can't we, 
like Jesus, rely on physical real-world truths to minister to spiritual con- to minister to minister to spiritual concepts to the unbeliever. And that begs the question of the debate. What is real? What is truth? To me, the reality is that we can certainly rely on those types of things in as much as we recognize the truth of the God who has revealed himself. All of Jesus's parables were presupposing speaking to Jews who did not know that he was the Messiah, a reality that they believed that God had spoken. Mm-hmm. In other words, what Christ was saying in the parables and the spiritual truths that he was pointing to make no sense unless the Jews already accepted Scripture itself. And again, what was Jesus' starting point every time he talked to the unbelieving Jews? Was his, what did he tell the people on the road to the maze, the disciples? It's always, have you not read? We, do, well, de- we dealt with this with Philip Wright, you know, which actually, <laughs> Jesus just, he's okay with the Old Testament that they had at the time and what they knew. He held them accountable to it, right? He says, you already know. You have the word. And this is like what, this is why the greater um, offense comes from the Jews is because they were given the light. They were given the oracles. That's what, set them apart. That's why it was such a great thing to be a Jew, as Paul said. But they were given these things they knew, and so he keeps on pointing them back to the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures. It's God's word. Um, I think I answered this question like, yeah, we can use stories, we can use that, but that's a, it's still that you don't do it, like we don't do it in such a way classically to prove the existence of God. But you can tell stories, you can do all that kind of stuff. That's fine. If uh, you need to make analogies, and analogies are great. Jesus was a very analogous kind of person and, and drew on idioms and all that kind of stuff and spoke to plain people. That's why the Bible should be written in every, every uh, common language so that the normal, normal people can read it, right? But that still doesn't talk to the, the question of the debate on methodology, on, um, you know, do we allow the unbeliever to be the judge of if God is true or not. And that is what we are debating. Jesus makes it clear in John's gospel that they did not believe completely the words of Moses because if they did, they would have accepted him. Mm -hmm. They assumed that they believed in the God of Scripture, but when the God of Scripture condescended and revealed himself to them, it revealed their hearts. So this question, Mm -hmm. can't we, like Jesus, rely on physical real-world truths to minister to spiritual concepts to the unbelievers? We only know that they're real and true as they comport with God's facts that they're only interpreted through that. There is no uninterpreted fact. There is no brute fact. Every fact that is a fact is a fact, <laughs> as Cornelius Van Til, is because God made it that fact. So it's like this, and maybe uh, Psy makes this argument, so I might be borrowing it a little bit from him. But someone can come to me and say, I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
great. Let me give you every last bit of evidence and prove to you that Jesus really lived and really died and really rose again. What's your next argument? Okay, so you convinced me a guy died and rose again. What? what who cares? I can bring it right here. There's the issue. That's the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Let me prove to you that Moses really existed. Let me prove to you that David really existed. I learned this when I was a little kid. Remember, I was riding back, actually, from a uh, youth camp with my dad, and we were talking about the archaeological evidence for the Old Testament. It was the first time I'd ever heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls. He told me about it, and I just said to my dad, it seems like every time people, and I was like nine, Dad, it seems like every time when people are trying to disprove the Bible, there's always proof to demonstrate that it's true. And he said, yeah, that's what we've always found. And my question was, well, then why don't people believe it? And he said, this might not be verbatim, but it was, well, they're always going to want more proof. Yeah, and this is the problem of empiricism. This is the problem of the Enlightenment. You don't know until you know. But when you think you know, do you know? And as time goes on, as more facts come in, things change. This is why coffee's good one day, coffee's bad one day. Same thing with the eggs. Same thing with the CDC right now, flip-flopping on everything. You know, you don't know until you know, and when you know, do you actually know? That's the problem of empiricism. Strict empiricism leads to absolute and utter skepticism. Which, you know, then eats itself, and then it turns into some other philosophy that you'll turn to and whatnot. Or you can rely on the condescending God who spoke covenantally to man. And that's the covenantal position. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, um, that uh, that's the case. And I know this is going to be a debate, and it's going to be a debate for a long time. It's a fun debate to have. Glad we had it. I'm glad yeah. we had our brothers and sister, you know, sisters there to listen to it and uh, enjoy. And I hope, you know, just more stuff in the Missouri Baptist Apologetics. So, I hope more people debate. Hopefully it's not just be, Dave and I kind of a thing. But My piece would be, I've had people ask me about the debate. Who won the debate? Or I've had people come to me, oh, you guys totally won the debate. Well, here's the deal. When we present Christ, we always win. Mm-hmm. And that is why you should make the most of every opportunity. That is why we started the whole podcast mm-hmm. because of a debate. Yeah. So only proper that we move into our yes. next piece. Next and last piece. Dealing of the show. with debates as we move into this next segment, which is good. It's exciting yeah. and is different and is going to uh, change a few things. But yep, we will deal there, with it. So there's been some new stuff. Dave and I have been talking about uh, what we need to do and how we need to approach it. Yes. And I know uh, there's probably a lot of people that are going to listen to this uh, when I upload it that already know the news and have already been through all the questions. Won't. But no. But there's some things coming up, Dave. Exciting. Things have changed, yeah. especially as of today. So. Or as of yesterday, yesterday yeah, Sunday. I've been hired to be the pastor of Lynn Valley Community Church in Lynn Valley, Kansas, and I have accepted the offer. So my wife and I will be moving with our kids. We tried to leave our kids behind, but they decided they would come with us. But no. Uh, so we're moving to Lynn Valley, Kansas here in the next few weeks. 
So uh, we are going to continue on as Tagurit Podcast. We'll be doing it through Zoom. Um, we will probably still try to drop a episode a week or something like that, but record two in each session. We'll continue to have guests on. I won't make it to the studio as often, so I'll have to have my own little studio where Adam has his own little studio here. And we will still meet up for things, and um, we will be working on our writing projects as well. Yeah. So... Between now and the end of the year, we will maybe have a few minor episodes where we do just a few yeah. little things, but we will not have a regular yeah. until the start of 2022, Yes. at which point we will be in a new phase. We are going to do some branding things. We're going to do some uh, changes where we might even ask some people to support us on Patreon. Uh, we'll we see. are going to going uh, possibly, well, one of the things we will try to do is incorporate some of our tag fellows a little bit more. Yeah. We could even add another one. Sure. Um, but we will, sometimes there'll be programs where it'll be just Adam and someone. Sometimes it might just be an Adam program. There might just be a Dave program. Yeah. Uh, and we will probably, you know, we're still going to record together. We're going to be the main guys. But. We will maybe sometimes have a program with one of the tag fellows on with just Adam or one of the tag fellows on with just me. Um, those are going to yeah, be kind of the that, way that we go. Stuff that we've already established, you know, it's just what we needed is time so that Dave can go move. Yes. And get, because like, again, he is a shepherd of people. There is a biblical definition of what he's supposed to do. That's right. And this is a gracious ministry that a people that he is shepherding allows him. So we got to understand. He's got a people that he's got to tend to, and this is a secondary outside of that confines of people that God has called him to shepherd, right? And so this is, he is only here by grace. Amen. And so we need to realize that it's okay. He's, so that I, I and we shouldn't get sad about this or mad, or, and I don't think any of you that well, are listening right here Well, and here's the other thing, but, too. Yeah. I did get a go-ahead and approval from the church— to continue on in the podcast. Amen. It was Thank something you, that they Valley. said they wanted me to do. People were excited asking questions about it. And so that's a good piece to go with right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, and here's the one other thing I do want to say. Uh, Adam and I have uh, got papers that we're working on to present at the International Society of Christian Apologetics. And we're yeah. hoping that Tim Carter will join us on heck, the one. Like so, with this new network with just getting together with Free the States. Mm -hmm. you know, that's a great piece. How, you know what's going to happen there um, as we move forward. I, again, I'll have an article and a podcast up sometime this week with them. Um, so we've got, we've made new connections and we've meshed together at some level and that's going to be an ongoing thing yeah. here in Missouri. And so, you know, I might have to take a little bit more responsibility for the Missouri side of things, but I'll have Dave by my side. I'll need I've you. Already, I I've need already you. told Wes and, that he yeah. needs to have you speak at the, yeah. uh, at the state Capitol next year. So yeah. just, just so, so you so know, Adam. Okay, cool. So there, there'll <laughs> be, there'll be some more things, you know, and I'll need more prayer you know, <laughs> as, as I take that responsibility, but we'll keep things going, but we just need a little bit of time to uh, let him move, let him get That's in right. there, get in with his people. He needs to be known and he needs to know Amen. them. And that is number one. Yes. Um, to get in there and start smelling like Lynn Valley That's sheep. Right. I preached, I preached <laughs> about that actually on Sunday. Good. So, yeah. Good. And cool. so, you know, so with that said, you know, that's, it's a wonderful time. 
um, and tag you're it. It's just uh, we've been doing this for it'll complete five years. Yeah, gosh. completely next year. But this is the fifth season. It's coming up to turn over the number six season anyway, and it's been a wonderful time. Um, but we're not going away. We okay. just need a little bit of time, and you know I'm gonna probably have some fun resting up a few Mondays right. in a row you need with my some. family. You and need stuff some, like that. dude. You've so, worked hard. Yeah. You've worked very so hard. So we've had a good time. And, and, but then again, we are so thankful for every opportunity that we've gotten by doing this and coming together. That's right. And again, culminating in just the wonderful brotherhood of abolition and the tag fellows that we do have. Amen. Um, you know, like, so five years, dude, has been awesome. So. Five years. It was pretty amazing. I can tell the story. Mul- I told the story multiple times, by the way. I mean, I tell people all the time, like how we started and everything, which is pretty cool. Pretty simple. So, yeah. Yeah. And we will not end. It is not over nope. by any means. So please know that it. we might have a little bit of a break in some of the uh, content, but we're going to have a good roadmap for how we'll move forward and uh, how we're going to do things. It's going to be hopefully even better. And here's the deal. I won't have to drive down to Springfield. We'll just flip on the computer and talk, and that'll be good. I can't drive all the way from Lynn Valley, but there might be a few times where I make it to the studio. Yeah. It won't be even once a month. This is going to change, too, (laughs) because if that's the case, I've got to consolidate and have some fun. And so, as always, there'll be a new... There'll sometime be a new background and all that stuff, but you, that's always been a case here. It's uh, been with cool. Us anyway, Look at that. So, all yeah. these Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, Spurgeon. Yep. So Edwards, there he is. Sorry. Yeah. So we'll yeah. get it going. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for yes. um, being with us. I uh, hope you enjoyed just the debate and uh, us commenting on it. Hopefully, it uh, exhorts you to go out there and make disciples of all nations, um, and then you know, defending the you know defending the faith and being confident that Jesus is Lord and he has spoken and that uh, you can stand in that. And again, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And you're free of any sort of, uh, you know, any persecution that you get, you're still free from it, even if you suffer. So big thank you to Gabe and to Dennis and to Will Hoffman Mm -hmm. and to Rob Phillips even bigger thank you to Adam, who agreed to be my partner. I mean, he could have said, nah, you go. Screw you. Done yeah. with you, dude. And then James. James and Sam, yeah. we yeah. really appreciated you mm-hmm. and your moderating. I believe the room was filled because of their presence. Yeah. So we think that. And so with that said, for uh, maybe that I'm not sure, I'm going to have something probably to upload um, for next week, just a quick little clip, but we'll yeah. see. Until then, this is the Tag Your Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And so Dave. Dave.